This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Christmas, Happy New Year. My name is Mike Broomhead in Phoenix, Arizona, filling in for Glenn today and tomorrow. Thanks for joining the show. We've got a lot going on. If you want to reach out, social media is the best way to reach out to me. Twitter, I am at Broomhead Show. Don't tweet Mike Broomhead. That's some guy in England who's really upset that he gets my tweets all the time. So at Broomhead Show on Twitter or the Mike Broomhead Show fan page on Facebook, best way to reach out to me. A lot going on in the news. We've heard about you know the death of a movie star and Carrie Fisher. Um, big deal because of the Star Wars movies that she has been such a big part of. Uh, That may be a part of the conversation this morning, but so much happening with Israel, the new U.N., um, the vote there, the uh, U.S. abstaining. That's going to be a big part of the program today is John Kerry. I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. Um, And what I mean by is anytime I talk about John Kerry, it makes me angry. But at the same time, it's his final speech in the Middle East. There's good news for America and the rest of the world. John Kerry will be leaving the post as secretary of state. And fortunately, he's such a dolt, he hasn't done much. So he hasn't done much damage because I just don't think he's that capable. We'll talk about him. Uh, Harry Reid makes some statements bragging about some of the horrible things he did while he was in the Senate. More good news for America. Uh, the Senate will take its next session in January, minus Harry Reid. That's already a great year. I, uh, so far, nothing but good news. Uh, some of the headlines, um, uh, President Obama says that they are going to somehow punish Russia for meddling in our elections. You know that 54% of Democrat voters, it's just a poll, and you know we know that numbers are can be skewed, but half of Democrats believe that the Russians changed the vote tally. Now, the Russian influence had everything to do with emails, if you believe it was the Russians that did the hacking and, and sent in over to make sure that it was dropped by WikiLeaks. And if you believe the Russians had a hand in that, that was the extent of what they did in influencing elections. They had nothing to do with hacking into vote tallies anywhere. But 50% of Democrat voters, apparently over 50%, believe they had something to do with changing the vote tally. By the way, Joe Stein still not done with protesting elections. And uh, at, at some point, you've got to give up, don't you? You've got to give up and just say it's over. The Electoral College has voted. Joe Biden is going to count those votes pretty soon. And on January 20th, uh, Donald Trump is going to be inaugurated as president of the United States. And I wonder, the shoe is definitely on the other foot in America today. I question so many people 
on the left that I'm friends with. And, and I enjoy my friends that think different than me politically. Uh, it's one of the things I enjoy the most is when I have disagreements with people that I admire and I like because I would rather figure out how we could be so close to each other and yet so far apart on some issues. And I try to come to the conversation from a position of respect. I look at, uh, at Donald Trump moving into the White House, and there are a lot of people that on the, on the conservative side who are terrified of a Trump presidency. I've mentioned on this show before, um, I was filling in here, and I was honored to be a part of the, the network for Glenn Beck long before I was friends with Glenn, but I have gotten to know Glenn fairly well. And, and you know, I am not the anti-Trump person that Glenn is, which is, uh, you know, so when I look at somebody I admire as much and knows as much about American history and American politics that I disagree with, I'd rather learn why and what they believe. But when you look at the pro-Obama crowd, you look at the people in this country that were thrilled what, with what Barack Obama was doing because Congress would not go along. The founding fathers were geniuses in the sense of this it was called the great experiment. It still is our, our form of government was never done like this before, ever. The House of Representatives being called the People's House, representing very small districts across the country where individual voices, I mean, supposedly, are being heard in the House of Representatives. Those people can be replaced every two years. The House of Representatives is up for re-election, and I'm not giving anybody a civics lesson here. The Senate, every six years, a six-year term, two senators equally representing every state in the union, equal power, two senators from each state doing the business of the states. That makes up the legislative branch and the executive branch, the president having veto power. And there is a lot of power that comes out of that office because it is that office. But that power also is not absolute, which is why the Congress is supposed to be the balance. And to get something through both houses of Congress. To get it signed by them and sent to the White House to become law. And then the check and balance there, the checks and balances there, of course, are the Supreme Court. We can argue about what it's become, and I agree the Supreme Court has become something it was not intended to be, but the Supreme Court is supposed to decide whether or not the laws made by Congress are constitutional, not good or bad, constitutional or not. We realize we now have justices on both sides of the aisle over there that are legislating from the bench, which isn't what they were supposed to do, but in theory, what our founding fathers have created, such an amazing thing. When you have a president that says, I have a cell phone and a pen, and if Congress isn't going to go along, I think I've got the power, and the Supreme Court's disagreed with him on some very important facts of his executive powers, and some yet to be determined. When you expand the executive powers and you set the precedent that Barack Obama has, I've asked people on the left before we even had any inkling that Donald Trump was going to be president, this brash guy that's bucking the system and is going against both parties and all the things he says he's going to do. I asked people on the left, how are you going to feel if the next president says, and he's on, he's on the far right, and he says, you know, President Obama was onto something. There's a lot of things that a president can do he doesn't need Congress for. I'm just going to use executive orders to do everything I want to do, and I'm going to do it the same way Barack Obama did, although it's going to be completely different policies. You watch how all of a sudden the political left in the next four years is going to become a small government, limited power in the executive branch, 
group of people. And when the Democrats are saying we have to stop the ideology and the plans of Donald Trump, which means we have to be an obstructionist. Isn't it funny that we that the right was told you got to work with President Obama? The people elected him. They want his policies in place. So you should go along with what he wants because that's what the American people want. Well, now we're hearing the opposite. And I'll tell you this, in all fairness, if Donald Trump uses executive powers the way Barack Obama did, I will call him out like I did Barack Obama because the Congress is supposed to be included. It never was supposed to, because if you eliminate them, if you do things by executive order, the Congress either becomes a dissenting voice or a rubber stamp. That's it. Now you've got absolute power. You can't have it. Donald Trump is going to have to negotiate with the Congress. He's got a majority, obviously a big majority in the House right now. That could change in two years. But right now, a big majority in the House. So it's going to be fairly easy to get some of his policies when agreed upon through the House. But with only a two-seat majority, really, in the Senate, it's going to be difficult on some issues. Now, Obamacare has got to be repealed and replaced. That should be easier because there are a lot of Democrats in the Senate that are in places where it's costing a lot of money for Obamacare. So repealing and replacing that may be something they go along with just for their political futures. But other things are going to be tougher. And when it requires 60 votes, it's going to be difficult. And there's going to have to be some negotiations. So that's going to be a part of the discussion today. Here in the first hour, just so you know what we're going to talk about, John Kerry and his final speech in the Middle East before he goes. The president in trying to punish Russia before he leaves office because of their meddling in American elections and security measures in the United States at big events like the Thanksgiving Day Parade, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, the uh, the Boston Marathon and upcoming and what we're going to see in Mardi Gras in New Orleans, what we are learning about terrorist attacks and how we're trying to prevent them here in the U.S. So we'll get to all these here in the first hour of the program. Once again, my name is Mike Broomhead. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm in here for Glenn Beck. And this is, of course, the Glenn Beck program. Glenn Beck. Want to see Glenn live? If you're coming to Texas, you can. Join us at Mercury Studios in Dallas for a taping of Glenn's television show. To reserve your seat, email tickets at glennbeck.com with your information. That's tickets at glennbeck.com. Mercury. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glennbeck.com. Thanks for being here this morning. Uh, Mike Broomhead in Phoenix, Arizona, in for Glenn Beck. Today and tomorrow, I will be in here for the Glenn Beck Program. Thanks for being a part of it. And uh, for making it a part of your day, it is uh, John Kerry will be giving his final speech in the Middle East. Now, this under the backdrop now of what we've seen in the U.N. resolution that we're calling the new settlements in the West Bank by Israel illegal. 
the U.S. abstaining from that vote, which is ridiculous. We, um, from every perspective you can think of as Americans, whether it is we are, they are our only and closest ally. I shouldn't say only ally. Our closest ally in the region is Israel. We are their best friend. Um, from that point of view, from a faith-based point of view, uh, for me personally and for a lot of people within earshot of me right now, we have had a responsibility and a long-standing tradition of standing side by side with Israel. And for uh, the Israelis claim they have ironclad proof that we were behind the resolution calling those settlements illegal. And the Israelis are going to defy the U.N. and they are going to continue to settle on the West Bank. And they are absolutely entitled to do so. And anybody out there that wants to talk about the battles between the Israelis and the Palestinians and you're siding with the Palestinians, I I love that conversation because you are a propagandist and are believing absolutely the wrong things. The tunnels that are being dug are not being dug by the Israelis. The bombs that are being lobbed are not being lobbed by the Israelis. And, you know, we can go through history and talk about a lot of these things. Golda Meir and some of the quotes from Golda Meir. And I, when I say quotes, I'm probably going to screw it up by a word or two. So I'm, I'm not I don't mean to paraphrase, but I believe it was Golda Meir that said to the Palestinians, we can forgive you for killing our grandchildren. We can't forgive you for forcing us to kill yours. And that has been the the Israeli point of view for decades in this war. They say if the other quote is if Israel were to lay down their weapons, there would be no Israel. If the Palestinians were to lay down their weapons, there would be peace. That is another accurate, in my opinion, accurate statement. But for the U.N. to do what they've done and for the accusation even to come from Israel that they believe what let's say that they don't have ironclad proof, that it's just a belief that they have, that the U.S. is behind this resolution tells you to what degree are the relationship between the United States and Israel has deteriorated over the last eight years. Jews in America largely vote Democrat most of the time based on social issues, if not economic issues, definitely social issues. I don't know for the life of me how anybody, how any American Jew could vote for Barack Obama on the policies of that office. But specifically, John Kerry now giving his final speech in the Middle East And CNN had a story that was written about him that is, I think John Kerry's wife wrote this and just did it under somebody else's name. Um, Elise Labatt from CNN Global Affairs correspondent, John Kerry's mission to save diplomacy is the title. It is 16 pages on their website. And it is... The first paragraph, and I don't like to read stories on the air. You can read them yourself, but it it starts like this. You can see it in everything he attempts to do around the globe. Even conflicts he every conflict he wades into, every crisis he refuses to concede. And as John Kerry prepares to step down as Secretary of State next month, he will carry it with him just as he has for fifty years. A deep seated belief that America, and indeed he, can solve some of the world's thorniest problems with the right mix of politics, diplomacy, perseverance, and personal charm. Now, is that a journalist or is this a biographer? John Kerry sat down over and over and over again with the Iranians. 
and hashed out a nuclear deal that was hated by every other nation in the region to the degree that the Saudis and the Israelis were working together saying that we will work together to make sure that Iran never gets a nuclear weapon. The U.S., as very limited publicly as they could do, solved the problem of the fears by the nations in the region because of the deal by selling bigger arms to those nations, arming nations around Iran to a larger degree so they could defend themselves if the Iranians break the deal. That's how confident we were in the deal. Not to mention that every aspect of the Iranian government, from their religious leaders, the Ayatollahs speaking in a public forum, the crowd chanting death to America, their religious leader, who runs the country, by the way, it's not the government. They take their lead from, they are a theocracy. The Ayatollah chanting with the crowd, yes, of course, death to America. This while John Kerry is negotiating with the Iranians. One of the Iranian military leaders said, no matter what happens in this deal, the Americans will always be our enemy. John Kerry didn't push away from the table. So they're right when they say he perseveres. When the Iranian government was voting on this deal behind the scenes to denounce the U.S. or to to have whatever they say, they can't sanction us. But it was an anti-American vote going on, and I believe with 200 members they had, it was 199 to 1. And while members of the Iranian government were voting on this, in what would be there, like we would have the House chamber or the Senate chamber, while they were voting in their governmental chamber, the parliamentary chamber, they were chanting death to America. Not all of them, but some of them. And yet we continue to negotiate with the Iranians. Every aspect of the Iranian government chanting in some way, shape, or form throughout these negotiations, death to America. There's your chief diplomat at work. When the Iranians captured two U.S. vessels and then took those U.S. sailors, stripped them of their uniforms, showed the videotape of them crying around the world, embarrassed and mocked the United States Navy to the entire world, John Kerry thanked the Iranians for the way they treated our sailors. He was in the Navy. Remember when he ran for president as a swift boat captain? He crossed the Delaware and saluted and said, John Kerry reporting for duty, and he looked like a dope. This guy was in the United States Navy and thanked the Iranians for their treatment of the United States Navy. There's your chief diplomat being being in a being. Talked about as a saint in a 17-page CNN review. This administration was going to restore the world's confidence in the United States. Anybody believe that's true, even on that side of the aisle? From Hillary Clinton and Benghazi to John Kerry in Iran, and not just the Iranian nuclear deal, but when the two American ships were taken. One of the stories we're going to discuss a little bit later on in the show is the the Chinese want an aircraft carrier in the Pacific. They're going to monitor us. They're sending us a message. How incredible is it that we have become what we have become? Our enemies have no reason to fear us. Think what we've done with John Kerry as Secretary of State, 
under the policies of this administration. We have restored diplomatic ties with Cuba, which is an absolute abomination because of the way the Cuban people are treated. I could spend the next 30 minutes talking about Cuba again. But we've restored that with Cuba relations with the Cuban government while the Cuban people still suffer under that communist regime. We gave the power back with nuclear weapons and billions and billions and billions of dollars to the Iranians. Even John Kerry had to admit it's probably going to go and foster terrorism. Nothing about ISIS. We, it's been a failure. Coming up in just a few moments, the Obama administration, they're going to punish Russia for election interference. How? We'll talk about that next. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. All right, thank you for being here. Mike Broomhead, Phoenix, Arizona, in for Glenn Beck uh, today and tomorrow. Thanks for making the Glenn Beck program a part of your day. The Obama administration close to announcing measures to punish Russia for election interference. I'm going to get to this in a moment. Um, I'm I'm in Phoenix, do a local show in Phoenix, Arizona. One of the listeners, uh, her name is Jackie, is uh, the best producer I've ever had. No offense to my producer. She does a great job. She sends me information all the time. I was talking about Harry Reid a little earlier. Harry Reid talking with someone about his career said, as my staff will tell you, I've done a number of things because no one else will do it. What was he talking about? The false accusations about Mitt Romney not paying his taxes. And he admits he did, he did you know, whether it was changing the rules in the Senate and basically, you know, using a nuclear option to do what he wanted to do there. When he said earlier in his career, if that ever happened, it would destroy the United States Senate and the intent of the United States Senate. And he did it because he wanted to get what he wanted to get through. He justified it 18 different ways. It was wrong. And then as soon as he got booted from power because the Republicans took over to the Senate, he said, ah, this shows America wants us to work together. Well, here's what he said about what he did to Mitt Romney by lying about Mitt Romney. Um, I tried to get everybody else to do that. I didn't want to do that. I didn't have anything against him personally. He's a fellow Mormon, nice guy. I went to everybody, but no one would do it. So I did. So when we talk about American politics, we want to talk about what's happening. And you want to hear about the vitriol of people. It's on both sides. I'm not condoning it on either side of the aisle. I've been very critical of Donald Trump uh, when he was running for president about the way he said things and the way he did things. Um, But I thought he was a much better option than Hillary Clinton. I voted for Donald Trump. Um, And I have been very complimentary about the way he's handled the transition and the way he's handled things since then. And in a lot of regards, his victory speech, which could have been a moment where the Donald Trump supporters from day one which I was not, but the Donald Trump supporters day one said he's going to win, and a lot of us, myself included, said there's no way that guy can win. Um, When they were proven right and the rest of us were proven wrong, in a moment where Donald Trump could have had a drain the swamp, lock her up, 
um, give the country the middle finger kind of a moment. He was gracious and he was um, humble, and so were the supporters that night. They kind of followed his lead. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for the presidency, and I've been complimentary as much as I was critical. But anybody on the left that wants to come after a Donald Trump, or, you know, low-hanging fruit of some of the tweets that have been sent out, look no further than your own party, where they don't like the way things are being handled on the right. If you remember, it was Harry Reid that called the sitting president of the United States, that time George W. Bush, an idiot. His words. I don't know what happened to Harry Reid. I don't know when Harry Reid became what Harry Reid had become. But um, I'm glad he's gone. Harry Reid, John Kerry, they just, I'm glad they are, I'm thrilled that they are gone from American politics, at least in the short term. I think we're a better country for it. Um, And, and, you know, if Nancy Pelosi would have lost her seat, uh, I think that would have been another great service to the American people. But I just wanted to get that out before we got to the other thing with uh, Harry Reid and uh, some of the nonsense he has spewed before. By the way, um, I'm in today and tomorrow. If you are a social media user, I love to interact on social media. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Broomhead Show, not Mike Broomhead. At Broomhead Show is my handle on Twitter. Mike Broomhead on Instagram is all one word, Mike Broomhead. You can find my, I'm famous for my blurry pictures I post on Instagram or the Mike Broomhead Show fan page on Facebook if you want to find me there. I would love to interact with you if you have questions, comments. If you want to do that on social media, that would be terrific. The Obama administration is getting ready to announce whether it's going to be economic sanctions or diplomatic censure, but uh, the President of the United States has every intention of punishing the Russians for interference in American elections. Now, what they did was hack the DNC, most specifically Podesta, in emails and um, exposed the corruption in the Clinton campaign. Now, the accusation was out there where they also hacked the RNC, but didn't turn that information over, which the RNC says it was never hacked. They showed proof that they were never hacked, right? Priebus saying they were never hacked, that it was the Democrats. Was this a pro-Trump thing or an anti-Hillary thing? I'm pretty sure it was anti-Hillary. And um, what's funny, be careful what you hear, because as far as I know, nobody denied the validity of those emails. Nobody said it wasn't true. Nobody said they were manipulated. What they said was they were stolen. The American media was all over it. And then when Donald Trump won the election, now they're blaming the Russians and they tried to do everything they could to stop what they were a big part of from the beginning. But the president himself had to admit there was no tampering with the election itself. They didn't hack into voting machines. They didn't change vote tallies. They didn't get into any voter databases. What happened was that they were, if it was them, and so far it hasn't been proven that it was, but they're saying, and I'm hearing from some very high-level people that they believe it was the Russians. So let's go for argument's sake to say the Russians were the ones behind the hack that got the emails exposed through WikiLeaks. What they did was expose the corruption inside the Clinton campaign. That's what sank that ship. When you see Hillary Clinton saying to the entire world, when I become Secretary of State, there is going to be this huge firewall, her word, between my Secretary of State's office and my foundation, 
And then we find out almost from day one that was never the case. Even when it came to Haiti earthquake relief, there was a lot of uh, government grants money that was out there given to companies that were there to do relief efforts, whether it was humanitarian aid, humanitarian relief, or it was um, rescue and recovery and rebuilding of Haiti. And when people were applying for that, those State Department grants and State Department funds, there were emails being exchanged that if you weren't friends of Bill or Clinton VIPs to the foundation, then they were sent to a website to fill out the paperwork. If they were friends with the Clintons or VIPs, then they were told, send them to us at the State Department directly. Those were handled in-house Those people were given the contracts. There's your firewall. There's the collusion and corruption the American people were tired of. If anything else in this election cycle, we learned the good old boy network was despised by the American people. And Hillary Clinton exemplified that with her office. Seating at state dinners for donors to the foundation and Meetings being brokered because there were diplomats that couldn't get a meeting with the Secretary of State, but their country or their indiv- they individually had donated a lot of money to the foundation. So the head of the foundation reaching out to Huma Abedin and some of the other handlers for Hillary Clinton and saying, hey, this is a big donor to the Clinton Foundation, trying to get a meeting with the Secretary of State and can't do it through the diplomatic channels. Is there anything you can do? And then the email going back saying, yeah, we've, you know, we've given them a few dates. Let us know what works for them. You know, that's the kind of corruption the American people despise. That's what sank that ship. So the president going along with the theme, and all it has to do is is keep the American people doubtful. You know, the the uh, when Al Gore lost and and George W. Bush's brother was Jeb Bush was the governor of Florida, and of course that's why he won Florida, and all that stuff died off fairly quickly. Not this time. Nobody went quietly into that good night this time. The electoral system in the United States is set up for an express purpose and an express way. They don't want it being coastal elections. They don't want L.A. and New York deciding every election, which they would have. They tried to get the electors to change. I know one of the Arizona electors received over and not they weren't. Um, it, this was not a unique case. They had received over 40,000 emails trying to get them to switch their vote from voting for Donald Trump as the people of Arizona had done to anybody else, basically. And that is not, that's not the way the American people behave. We know about the terrorist attacks that happened in Germany and France where they're not using bombs, they're not using guns or knives, they are using vehicles to just mow down people in crowds. And just it, it, it is just a horrifying way to take human lives. But it just shows you, again, the ingenuity and the desire and the hatred for humanity that some of these people, in the name of religion, have. And we saw it in Germany, the Christmas market. We saw it in France. Well, in America, we've got big events here. And are the Americans learning from what's happened in other countries? The best of a horrible situation is to learn from others, not mistakes necessarily, but learn tactically from things that happen in other countries. 
well, we've got Mardi Gras coming up and what's happening in New Orleans, what happened at the Thanksgiving Day Parade, what happens now at the Boston Marathon, what are happening at some of these events in America to be one step smarter than we were before and try to prevent the mayhem and the death. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. Again, my name is Mike Broomhead. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Glenn Beck Program. Triple eight seven two seven back Mercury. Glenn Beck program. All right, Mike Broomhead in for Glenn Beck today and tomorrow. Coming up next hour, we'll talk about the U.S. inequality keeps getting uglier in a CNN story, talking about the disparity between the haves and the have-nots. It's a great topic. And also in the next hour, one of my heroes, I I think if I could emulate anyone, which I don't ever want to do, but if there's one person whose career I admire, it's Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe has been the voice of for kind of the working man um, in what he does in his television shows and what you see when you hear him on broadcasts. And he's just one of those working class heroes, and it is genuine. It seems very genuine. If there's one person out there that I would love to be able to meet someday and just have a conversation with, because I think it would be a fascinating conversation, would be Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe talks about why there's a lot of jobs out there that Americans aren't taking, and I think he's right on the money with some things. So we'll talk economy big in the next hour. But to wrap up this this hour of the show, Bourbon Street to be pedestrian mall for New Year's weekend. So it's not just Mardi Gras, but over the new year, they are going to be using blockades and trucks, I think, to block the streets where it will be pedestrian traffic only to stop the same kind of mayhem where a vehicle is used to murder as many people as possible. We've now seen it in Europe a couple of different times. And now we're looking at a, a different scenario. If you looked at Ohio State, and this was the big argument, the the stabbing in Ohio State where a guy rammed a building with his car, tried to run people over, then started with knives and stabbing people before he was killed by a police officer. Uh, right away, the anti-gun crowd in America, because the reports were out there, there was a gunman at the Ohio State campus. Right away, it was an anti-gun message. Right away. The gun control crowd was out there once again in full force. Turned out they didn't use a gun. One of the arguments I've always had is, and I'm fortunate to live in a place where our gun laws are probably the most lenient in the entire country. And I live in a very safe place. Phoenix, Arizona, if you've never visited, I hope you will someday. It's a beautiful city. And it's safe. The valley, all the surrounding cities, we call it the valley. Beautiful and safe place. If you can legally own a handgun in the state of Arizona, you can conceal it without a permit. Now, a lot of people think that's, oh my gosh, how wild west is that? No training, no... The offset to that is criminals conceal weapons all the time. They don't have any training. Has not been an increase in death. There's not been an increase in shootings. There haven't been an increase in violence. None of that. Good people, law-abiding citizens, do not brandish weapons on each other. They, they just don't. And now we're seeing the terrorists around the world are using guns when they it's effective they're using pressure cooker bombs when they believe that's going to be effective and now they're using big trucks we're going to limit the size of vehicles now that's what they want to do with guns let's limit the amount of ammunition in a magazine let's limit the um caliber let's limit the number of bullets somebody can buy let's have we really turned into people that believe that's going to solve a problem 
I could go into the grocery store today because New Year's Eve is right around the corner. I could go in the New. I could go in to a grocery store with a hand truck. I could buy six cases of beer, four cases of whiskey, and fifteen bags of ice and roll it out to my truck. And people would look at me and say, "Where's the party?" No one's going to look at me and say, "Oh, look at all the drunks he's going to be creating on New Year's Eve." There's going to be death and mayhem in the streets from drunk drivers. But you roll out of a of, of a gun store with a couple of thousand rounds of ammunition, and they may follow you home. There is evil in the world, and people that based on religion right now, I mean, there's other reasons as well, are just looking to kill the Western way of life. And we have to try to stay one step ahead of the way they're doing things. And this is going to be one way to stop people from driving trucks down Bourbon Street and just running people over that are celebrating New Year's Eve. But they're going to come up with a new way to kill people. We have to double down and be diligent. The joint terrorism task forces around the country are constantly assessing what's going on around the world to improve how they target people, how they watch people, and how they protect the American citizens. So um, next hour, we'll talk about the economy, inequities, inequalities in our, in our uh, economic status in America and what we can do to fix it, according to CNN. Stick around. You're going to love what's next. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Program. My name is Mike Broomhead, Phoenix, Arizona, in for Glenn today and tomorrow. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Thanks for making the Glenn Beck Program a part of your day. So much going on around the world this hour, focusing a little bit more on economy. A CNN story lamenting the fact that the rich are getting richer, which they always do, and saying that the poor are actually getting poorer. It's going to be a fascinating conversation because, and this isn't to be critical of the outgoing president, but we do know that Barack Obama's policies, this is about Americanism. It has nothing to do with Republican, Democrat. This is just about what's best for us as a nation. And the American voters vote largely with their wallets. There are people that are card-carrying Democrats that will vote Republican. They are not party loyalists and vice versa based on what they believe is going to be best for them in the next four years when they look at the policies of a president. Because we're looking at, right now, consumer confidence at a 15-year high. Now, Donald Trump taking all the credit in the world for that, which maybe to some degree he should because I think it's also about more – it is more about the fact that the economic policies of this administration are on their way out, why confidence is going up. There are many people 
that were supportive, remain supportive of Barack Obama, but also see that what he wanted to do, whether they believe it was the right thing or not, he hasn't. The, what the Obama administration wanted to accomplish largely economically has been an abysmal failure, whether it's Obamacare or especially Obamacare, with what it's going to cost the American people. When you take that much discretionary income out of the American economy, you are going to do huge damage to the American economy. Um one of what we have, obviously, the two senators in Arizona, John McCain and Jeff Flake. Senator Flake's office put out a table earlier this year of what Obamacare costs are ballooning into in 2017 just for our state. And it was, in some cases, 120, 130 percent increases in premium costs. There is a big county uh, called Pinal County in Arizona, where there was only going to be one health care provider. There were none until one said they would provide. And there are people on average paying a lot more money for health insurance. And we're not talking deductibles or co-pays, just premium costs. More money for their family than they pay on average for their mortgage. Not going to survive that way. Just not going to survive that way. So the American people vote with their wallet. They don't vote by race or gender or sexual orientation. There are social issues that carry people, um, especially in a primary process. I am adamantly and proudly pro-life. I'll defend that position on any level with anyone. And when I look at candidates, I want candidates that are pro-life. That is That to me can be a deal breaker in voting for somebody. But largely Americans vote with their wallets. So this hour, a little bit more of a focus on that and this disparity, the inequality, as they call it in this story, between the rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots in America, and why that might be. And then also a conversation, I mentioned my admiration for Mike Rowe and um, somebody I hope someday to be able to have a conversation with. I'm not, I don't get starstruck. It's not about meeting a star and getting a picture with him. I'd love to have a conversation with Mike Rowe about his career path and why he has decided, and he has made a great career out of, Speaking for the working man, you know, with the shows like The Deadliest Catch, which is one of my favorite shows on television, where you are um, admiring the hard work and the dangerous things that people do to make a living and how they can make a really good living, but work in ways that many people couldn't even fathom, couldn't even tolerate. And yet there's people that do this every single day of their lives for a living and kind of honoring them in the way they do that and exposing the great work. And it shows that the American people love it because one of the most popular shows on television and has been for a long time and the spinoff shows that have come from that and so I'd like to I'd love to be able to talk with him but he was asked about the job market in America and what our problems are and he gave a great answer and I think in this hour be a great time to discuss where we should be and where we can be going in this country with there's a class of people there is a working class of people that could be doing great things and making a great living given an opportunity so that we'll discuss some of the headlines, uh, if you're just kind of jumping in the car, just getting back in the real world from vacation time, um, the Israelis say they've got ironclad proof that the U.S. was behind the U.N. resolution that made the new West Bank settlements illegal in the eyes of the U.N. The U.S. abstained from that vote, which is ridiculous on his face, but the Israelis believe they have proof that America was behind the resolution. 
If that's true, can you imagine what that does to U.S.-Israeli relations? We talk in this country so much about propaganda. Everything we do, we can't we can't talk about limiting or more scrutiny on um, refugees because that's being used as a um, recruiting tool by our enemy. We can't do these things. We're not going to say it fundamentalist Islamic terrorism because by using that phrase, it emboldens our enemies and they use it as propaganda to recruit against us. And everything is about appearance. Well, how does it appear to the world when Israel's greatest ally, the United States, goes against them behind their back and abstains from this vote? You tell me what the appearances are around the world. You tell me about the Palestinians and what they want to do to Israel. You tell me about the Iranians who have in the Iranian constitution that they will destroy the Zionist state. Their constitution dictates that they destroy Israel. What do you think it does to those nations and emboldening them when the fiercest ally of the Israelis, the Americans, are going behind their back? So you want to talk about propaganda, you want to talk about recruiting tools, you want to talk about appearances. How does that appear to our allies? How does it appear to the Israelis first, but then to the rest of the world? John Kerry, in the last hour we talked about this, giving his final speech in the Middle East with the backdrop of what's happened in Israel. I don't know what he could possibly say. What what has he accomplished in the Middle East? The only thing he's done is the nuclear deal with the Iranians. It has the rest of our allies in the region terrified and angry. What could he possibly have to say in this speech? Actress Carrie Fisher dies. Uh, singer um, George Michael dies. Big stories all over uh, the internet and Twitter. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm going to get a lot of people angry. I'm not a big Star Wars fan, so I wasn't struck by the death of Carrie Fisher like a lot of other people were. I, I, I you know, I'm a Star Wars generation, but I'm not a big fan of the movie, so it's not that big of a deal to me in the celebrity of things. George Michael's passing, um, you know, again, why do people get so enamored with celebrities? But that's part of life. I mean, it's just how it is. When people have, you know, notable people pass away, these things happen. So um, it doesn't mean I'm not sad for her family or his family. It's just it's it's not as big a deal to me as it it has been to a lot of others. There was a China aircraft carrier making its way into the Pacific. They were doing some maneuvers, again, flexing their muscle in that region of the world. President Obama is working on ways, whether it's through economic sanctions or political sanctions against the Russians for tampering in our elections. Just some of the headlines of what's been going on in the world. This hour, we talk about economic inequality in America, which was supposed to be fixed under this president and his tax plan and his redistribution of wealth ideas and taxing the rich to help the poor, which never has worked before. It certainly isn't working right now. And why, if that was the solution to the problem, is the consumer confidence higher now than it's been in 15 years? I've got two answers to that question, which we'll get to here in just a few moments. Again, if you want to reach out to me via social media on Twitter, I am at Broomhead Show. On Instagram, Mike Broomhead, all one word. And Facebook, the Mike Broomhead Show fan page on Facebook. Would love to interact with you on all those social media platforms. I'll be back here in a few moments to talk about the economy of the United States. My name is Mike Broomhead, and this is the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.
individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. So they say consumer confidence is at a 15-year high, but the inequality between the haves and the have-nots in America is getting wider, the gap between the two, the rich and the poor, the middle class is shrinking. I believe all of that's true. There's two answers to both of these issues. One, on the consumer confidence side of things, I believe the policy changes that are coming, with any president coming in, I'm not taking anything away from what Donald Trump is doing about job creation and the comments he's made about jobs coming here and saving jobs and, you know, $50 billion investment from foreign companies and other companies that are saying they're staying here now. Um, I'm not taking away anything. So for the Trump supporters that are listening, this is not about taking anything away from Donald Trump. But the policies of this current administration have been so restrictive to business. Taxation, yes. But how about regulation? There's a word for any business owner of any size. It's called compliance. Ask a business owner. You want to see someone perplexed that owns a business. You ask them, which would help your company be more profitable, lower taxes or less regulation? I guarantee you it's not as easy as you would think. The average person would say, lower my taxes. Get, let me keep more of my profits. Obviously, that makes a lot of sense for businesses. But what they spend on compliance, what they spend on just trying to make sure they can, in the construction business, um, MSDS, which is material safety data sheets, you've got to keep a log of the things that you have on a job site that would be dangerous in case there were a fire, so the fire department has them. You could have a small job site. You know what it's like for compliance? The risk management companies in this in this country that make a ton of money because of these ridiculous, even the risk management companies will tell you, Government regulation has gotten to be so oppressive to businesses. You know, the the largest ponderosa pine forest in the country is located in the state of Arizona. People picture us as being a desert. When you realize the forest fires that have decimated our area from the Rodeo Chetiskai fire back to the Yarnell Hill fire where those those firefighters, the Yarnell uh, firefighters were killed, the hot shots. And you're talking about forests where they can't go in and fight the fires. They can't get equipment in to fight those fires because EPA regulations say you can't thin the forest. You're going to damage the habitat for the wildlife. Well, what happens when you have a fire that destroys the habitat for the wildlife? Oh, and destroys the wildlife too. Compliance. So the inequality keeps getting uglier according to the CNN story. The rich and money-making machines today, the mega-wealthy, the top 1%, earn an average of $1.3 million a year, more than um, three times as much in the 80s. They only made 428000 on average in the 1980s. But they are saying now that the bottom 50% of American population, with an average of $16,000, 
in pre-tax income in 1980 hasn't changed much. If you want to increase it, I'm in favor of people making more money in this country. I, I think that it's the lifeblood. I think wealthy business owners love it when they have wealthy people living around them. If you own a restaurant, you want people with the discretionary income to eat at your restaurant. Come into your store. If you sell furniture, you want to sell high-end furniture. You want people to be able to afford new furniture in their homes, new cars. It's ridiculous to think that the average American business owner doesn't want to pay their employees. But a business owner has, has the responsibility. They are tied to the bottom line. Oh, incidentally, the employees get paid first. Business owners don't get a check until the employees get a check. You've heard the old cliches, you know, I've signed both sides of the check, front and back. I've been the same thing. I've been a small business owner. It's not easy, and it keeps you up nights. You want what's best for your employees, but you are you are a slave to the bottom line. At the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the year, you have got to make sure that bottom line is covered, that your employees are paid, you're paying your vendors, you're paying your taxes, you're meeting the compliance issues that the federal and the state and the local governments have. So why is consumer confidence at a 15-year high if the disparity between rich and poor has never been bigger? The answer is this administration and its policies are on the way out. We could talk about Obamacare and how it's terrifying everybody, even the people that believed in it. Now, the Republicans are talking about something called universal access, which I think will be a great thing. But solving the problem by deregulation, first of all, by inviting more people to the party is a much better way of doing things. Shared risk. It's just like automobile insurance. And I always, the, the detractors always say it's not a perfect analogy. Nothing is a perfect analogy. But in this regard, it works. If you own a car that's 15 or 20 years old and it's not worth a whole lot of money, you have basic coverage, which in some places is called PIP and liability, personal injury protection and liability insurance. So if you, if you damage somebody else's vehicle, it's covered by your insurance. If you injure other people in an accident, their, their medical bills are covered by your insurance. Your car is not covered. You don't have theft. You don't have fire. You don't have vandalism. You don't have glass coverage because the car is old and not worth anything. So you pay a minimal amount to make sure you're covered if you damage somebody else's property or you hurt somebody in an accident. If now you've gotten to be my age and you've accumulated some stuff and you drive a newer vehicle, you not only have full coverage, but you jack your limits. You jack your liability on those things. You know, I have 100,000, 300,000 coverage on my vehicle. If I hurt somebody, God forbid, or damage somebody else's vehicle. Full glass coverage. I have all towing. I have everything else. I pay a lot of money for insurance because I want to be covered. But the full gamut is there. And there's a ton of insurance companies out there. And they share the risk with bad drivers that have tickets or accidents or claims. Shared risk by the insurance companies. Lower premiums because they're fighting for people's businesses. You could do the same thing with health insurance. But aside from the solution to Obamacare is the problem of Obamacare. What it's going to do to the discretionary income of Americans. Consumer index or consumer confidence is up because that's one of the things that's going to change. With Donald Trump telling business owners, we're going to lower the corporate tax rate, let you keep more of your money, put a moratorium on regulation, and make it easier for American businesses to produce in America. Sounds simple, not as easy as it sounds, but moving in that direction right now with the prospect of that happening is making consumer confidence rise. 
if the Congress is able to work with the president and they come up with a good plan that is um, what they would call budget neutral or fiscally neutral, where it's not going to cost more in taxes, where it's actually going to bring more tax dollars in, if they're able to pull that off, you will see consumer confidence rise. You'll see wages rise. We won't need a falsely inflated $15 an hour minimum wage, by the way, in the Pacific Northwest, where the $15 an hour minimum wage has been implemented in those cities. Have you seen what they're going to do there? They're going to automate fast food restaurants. You'll now go to a kiosk to place your order. Somebody will cook it and bring it to you. All those front end jobs where they take your order, gone. There's your $15 an hour minimum wage fallout. They're going to eliminate the jobs. So we don't need to falsely inflate wages. There will be jobs available. So I don't know why we don't see that. It's not about rich versus poor. It really should never be. We've turned it into that. In the next segment, uh, Mike Rowe was talking about American job markets and why it's suffering in some industries and what he believes is the cause of the problem. And I think his answer was a brilliant one, and it's something um, I've agreed with, but I haven't been able to articulate it as well as Mike Rowe has in this story. And by the way, I got this from theblaze.com. If you want to go over to theblaze.com, you can see um, this story and Mike Rowe's answer to the economy. We'll talk about this in a few moments because there is a segment of our society that I believe I've come from it that is the backbone of the American economy. And it's underserved in a way we can serve this community where they can really be a part of a thriving economy. And this is the way to bolster the middle class. I believe the answer is there. We'll talk about that here in the next segment of the show. I'm Mike Broomhead. This is the Glenn Beck Program. My name is Mike Broomhead. I'm in for Glenn today and tomorrow. Thanks for joining me. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. Social media users, you've been kind to me again today. On Twitter, I am at Broomhead Show. I love the interaction with people so far. Only one negative, uh, um, one hater, but I, I, I even I even like the disagreement. So at Broomhead Show on Twitter, the Mike Broomhead Show fan page on Facebook, or if you're an Instagram user and you want to see some of my blurry pictures that I'm famous for, Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram is where you can find me there as well. Um, I mentioned earlier that we're talking economy mostly this hour and what's happening in America with consumer confidence being higher. And what we always are talking about is the disparity, the haves and the have nots. And it's turned into politics in America and it never should be that way. Um, you know, I've talked about the Communist Manifesto on the show way too much about the bourgeoisie and a proletariat and the immiseration of the proletariat where if people don't know how bad they have it, let's go and tell them how bad they have it. And it's almost the platform for the Democratic Party as of late. And it shouldn't be that way, nor was it intended to be that way. And we can lament how the two parties have gone in different directions and neither one left a lot of people behind collectively. 
But when you look at America, most people that I know don't want anything handed to them. They want to earn everything they own. And when you look at a government that largely is saying we're going to give free college and we're going to give you this and we're going to give you that, well, nothing is free. Someone is paying for it. And if you think that you're going to get free college when you're 18 to 22 and not pay for everybody else's college from when you're 22 to you're 62, you're crazy. That's what's going to happen. But Mike Rowe was being asked about the American job market, and uh, it's a story I got from TheBlaze.com. And um, his, his show, Dirty Jobs, where he goes around the country at some of the hardest working jobs that there are and difficult and just backbreaking, disgusting, and sometimes work. And uh, he said along the way he would see help wanted signs and wanted to know what was going on. He was talking with uh, Tucker Carlson. And one of the th- one of the reasons he gives is that maybe one of the barriers are the people guiding them in schools at the secondary level, liberal arts and poetry majors. He says not there's anything wrong with that, but they don't see the dignity in welding. Maybe is that part of the problem? Because in North Dakota, there's a young man who's a welder who is now making a hundred and forty thousand dollars a year as a welder. He said, we're also spoiled in that wonderful way that any advanced society becomes when they flip the switch and they don't pause for a second and say, holy crap, I can't believe the lights came on again. We are not we are not properly God smacked by the reality of the civilization we live in. Consequently, the people who are on the front lines of those jobs are by and large transparent. In fact. He said, when you pay attention to big chunks of people who are typically ignored, interesting things happen. So I've mentioned, I I think that he is one of the most interesting people because he has tapped into something that I have believed for a long time, and he has done it in a way that I I, I could never do. He's articulated the working man, not as a hero, but as an example. And it's just how things are. In our society, the underserved population is the category I fit into. Maybe that's why I I feel so much, so passionately about this. Had it not been for the trades, I would have fallen through the cracks. I was very intelligent, but not a good student. I I lacked discipline. I still do, but I lacked discipline. I was fortunate. I took a job as an apprentice electrician for the sole purpose that it paid a little bit more money than the other job I was working. I just saw it as another job. Within two months, I saw it as my career path at 18 years old. And it served me to the point where I was management, then I was um, I had my own company with a partner, then I had my own company. And I saw a light at the end of the tunnel. I saw a way to use my hands and my brain and make a living for myself and my family. Trade schools should be a huge focus for the American government. The NEA and secondary education in college, I wish my biggest regret, by the way, I know this is going to be contradictory. My biggest regret in life now is that I don't have a college degree. What I wouldn't do for an American history degree, and I know I can go back to school, but that's my regret, that I didn't have the discipline to do the coursework 
I'll put my knowledge of American history up with a history major in many regards because I'm self-educated, but I didn't have the discipline to do the coursework to get the certificate and the diploma, and I wish I had. But micro is tapping into something in our society that's largely underserved, and that is we see um, you know, the Carrie Fishers of the world. Nothing wrong with idolizing somebody that was in such an iconic movie series like Star Wars. But at the same time, the working class of America really is the middle class. There are jobs out there, and there are people that are really driving this economy because of what they're doing. Small business owners, not the large business owners that we hear so much about, but the small business owners that are employing 10 and 20 people or even less than that. And when you look at that, he's right. They're largely transparent. When you think about, you know, when the lights come on, which really struck home with me because I was an electrical contractor, when, you know, there are people, uh, the building that I'm in right now in Phoenix, Arizona is being remodeled. They're remodeling our offices. And so I'm ducking my head around on the construction side of what's going on because I miss it. I miss the feeling that happens at the end of the day when you look at, um, for the electricians out there, when you look at a panel that you're wiring or or you're running conduit somewhere and you see it and you think, I, you can see what your hands have created at the end of the day. I miss that as much as I love what I do right now. But there's an underserved part of our population that will drive this economy in the years to come. When Donald Trump went into those states that he flipped, when he was in Florida and he was, you know, especially when he was in Pennsylvania and he was in Michigan and he was in Wisconsin, when he was telling people, we're going to keep these factories open, we're going to get the ones that are closed reopened, we're going to give you your jobs back. People weren't looking for a handout. People weren't looking for a minimum wage increase. They were looking for a job. They want their career back. I know what it's like to have a five-gallon bucket of tools in the back of a pickup truck and go and do a day's work for somebody and be proud of what you've done. It's funny, now that I'm doing what I do, I speak at a lot of events or I'm invited to attend a lot of events in ballrooms at beautiful resorts here in Arizona all over the place. You know what's funny is when I walk into these places now as a guest, I walk past the electrical work I did on the lights outside or the fountain that I worked on. It makes me laugh to myself. I'm the same person I was then, except now I'm in a suit and a tie walking into the ballroom instead of, um, you know, a bucket of tools at the back entrance fixing something so you never see me. So the CNN story we talked about at the beginning of the hour and the disparity between the haves and the have-nots in this country, it's not about limiting what the haves get. We should really be happy that the wealthy in this country have become wealthier that the successful people have learned how to become even more successful than they ever dreamed of. What are we doing to serve? And what I mean by serve is not hand anybody that's not making a decent living money or a job. What are we doing to create an opportunity? You take somebody that's in the fast food industry that's working away or in retail that's working away, then working very hard but give them an opportunity at a career, whether it's a trade like I was in, whether you're an electrician, a plumber, HVAC, or a welder, and show them the honor and dignity in a job like that, but not just honor and dignity, but a nice living. You can provide for your family and be proud of the work you do. I think that's Americanism. The wealthy getting wealthier, good for them. I'm happy for everybody wants to work for someone that's wealthy. I know I do. Oh, my check to cash on Friday. 
I don't ever want to worry that my paycheck's going to bounce. So I don't care how wealthy my boss is. But when I work hard, Christmas bonus, pay raises, paid vacation, benefit package, and be able to do a job that my family respects, that I can look at myself in the mirror. I think that's what Americanism is. And Mike Rowe, nobody paints that picture better than Mike Rowe has. He's done it with dirty jobs. He's done it, I mean, you know, the deadliest catch shows the, and the spinoffs from that have just been, I love that show. That's the underserved part of our society. The, the, the young men and women in high school right now that may not be going to college. And if they do, they're going to get a business degree and barely squeak by and then wonder why they're saddled with student loans and what did that degree do for them? They could go to a trade school. They could learn a skill that in a couple of years they are making a nice living and they're not saddled with such a student loan debt and they're out contributing to society and they've got careers that they can lean on as opposed to just a job. Not everybody has to be a superstar or a millionaire. There's a lot of people that are happy making a really nice, comfortable living. Knowing they can proud that they can feed their families on their own without assistance from the government. So more on this, I think, before we finish up the hour. Uh, as social media users, if you want to reach out, I'd love to hear. If you're a w- part of that working class I'm talking about, I'd love to hear your story. On Twitter, I'm at Broomhead Show, the Mike Broomhead Show uh, Facebook page, if you want to reach out to me there. I'd love to hear your story. It really is a great story. And uh, you know, we'll talk more about the American economy and what is going to bolster that middle class. And I think it is that working class part of America. And in the next hour, California changing its gun laws, just like the president of the United States tried to do that here in the U.S. So the gun sales over the last eight years have skyrocketed. Well, what do you think's happening in California? We'll talk specifically about that from another blaze.com story. Um, in the next hour. So we'll do that all here in a few minutes, close out this one, and then jump into hour number three in a few minutes. I'm Mike Broomhead, and this is the Glenn Beck Program. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. The Glenn Beck Program. I will be macho. Glenn Beck Program. 888-727-BECK. All right, Mike in for Glenn Beck today and tomorrow. Uh, before we get into the next hour where we're going to talk about the Californian changing gun laws, which is ca- which have caused gun sales to skyrocket. It's a Blaze.com story if you want to go and read up on it at theblaze.com before we get to it in the next hour. Wrapping this hour up with the conversation about the economy and training and giving people an opportunity at success and success changes for people. Um, I'm very fortunate. I'm blessed. I, you know, I was raised by a single mom. I've mentioned this before, and we were raised with very little. So I've been on that side of it, and I was happy, although I wished I had had more. Now I'm in a career. I've got more than I ever dreamed I would have. I'm no less or more happy because of the things I've accumulated. It's just different. Success for me was always the ability to take care of myself. And I think for most Americans, that's what we want. We don't want to be cared for. We don't want, and I'm not 
when people are in need, it should be available to them. We should be a benevolent society, and we are. But people don't want to be cared for for their entire lives. They want to be able to care for themselves. They want to feel like they can do that. Giving people an opportunity is what we do as Americans. Keeping jobs here. You want to know why people are largely becoming more optimistic about a Trump presidency? It's because he is saying he's going to keep jobs here, and there is proof now that those things are beginning to happen. Will we stop with the class warfare? Will we stop with the rich versus poor, the haves versus the have-nots? We've got to stop. There are greedy poor people and there are greedy rich people. There are kind and giving poor people and there are kind and giving wealthy people. It's human nature on both sides. And your, your, your economic status has nothing to do with what kind of person you are. And political parties have divided haves and have-nots for political purposes way too long. If your job is insured or is more um, likely to remain because the government reduces regulation and taxes on your boss, what do you care if your boss gets richer? And the nice thing about these things is as the job market becomes more competitive, if you don't believe your boss is paying you what your job is worth, there is going to be more opportunity out there for you when other businesses are opening or expanding. There will be made, there, that's how things work. Falsely inflating the minimum wage will do nothing for the economy. The poor working class person that's working at minimum wage level, if it goes up to $15 an hour, their lifestyle does not change because the basics of keeping them sustained will also increase in cost where their lifestyle won't change. And a wealthy person will eat the increase in the cost to go with an increased minimum wage. What's left of the middle middle class who pays the price? You know, if a restaurant food goes up by, you know, 10%, I'm in a place right now financially, I can eat the 10%. I'm still going to go to the restaurant. I may complain about it, but I'm still going. Middle class family, maybe not. We should be thinking about what's best instead of what is going to hammer the people we don't like. We got to stop with the class warfare. I, I just think it's, it's damaging to us as people and it's damaging to our economy as well. So um, I am hopefully optimistic um, going into next year and the inauguration. We'll see if economically any of these things continue to go in that direction. Coming up in the next hour, California's gun sales are skyrocketing right now because of changes in their gun laws that are getting ready to go into effect. Sound familiar? Sounds like the last eight years nationally to me. That coming up in the next hour. My name is Mike Broomhead. I'm in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck Program.
This is the Glenn Beck Program. It is the Glenn Beck Program. My name is Mike Broomhead. Phoenix, Arizona is where I live. I'm in for Glenn today and tomorrow. Thanks for making the Glenn Beck Program a part of your day, wherever you're listening, however you're listening to us. We, we really do appreciate you being here, and I want to especially thank uh, the hundreds of people on social media that have reached out to me this morning. I love social media and the interaction. It's, it's just a great way for us to get. I do manage my own social media. I don't have anybody that does it for me. So on Twitter, I am at Broomhead Show. On Instagram, Mike Broomhead, all one word, um, and I'm known for here in Phoenix for my blurry pictures. Yes, I'm not doing it on purpose now. It's just I, for whatever reason, can't take a picture no matter how good the camera is. But you can see my photographs there. And the Mike Broomhead Show fan page on Facebook is where you can find my show locally in Phoenix. I do morning drive in Phoenix, Arizona at KFYI. And uh, I, I want... I want to wrap something up from last hour. The biggest outpouring I've gotten in response has been about work in America and jobs. And I've gotten some great tweets um, and they've been terrific and people have been kind. And um, uh, I'm not Sharita said that, you know, that no one should feel that they can't. If you want what you have isn't good enough, go out and get it. When there's a will, there's a way. And talked about going and getting her degree later in life after retiring from the army. and, And thank you for your service in the military. It is One of the great things about Americanism and what I worry about with the regulations. So when I argue politics, I come from a different place. Uh, I am a registered Republican. I I say that unashamedly, but I am not a a, um, standard bearer for the Republican Party. I'm a standard bearer for a set of what I believe are ideals. And the reason why I want limited government is because I think government gets in the way many times. And so we we do need rules and regulations. But when. The powerful become more powerful, and that's all it is about is being powerful. It becomes a detriment. And so it's not ju- – it's about principle, not party. And so when I argue about the Democratic platform, it's because I think it's wrong. I'm not arguing with Democrats and calling them evil people. I believe they're well-intentioned. I can't – you know, my, my uncles were teamsters for crying out loud when I was a little boy. So you know what kind of a family I came from. Everybody in that family, my entire family, all my cousins, now Republican. Because what has become of the oppression of the Democratic Party is different. It's the haves and the have-nots, and it's class warfare that shouldn't be there. So to kind of wrap a bow on the last hour where we were talking about job and influence and and, and the working class in America – we should be telling our children in our own homes, but the, the generation of children right now in high school, that there's a way for you in America, no matter who you are, to find a way to contribute and feel good about your contribution and make a living for yourself. You're, you're not going to have, not many of us are ever going to have superstar money. It's not going to happen. But we can improve our station in life. We can change our career in midstream. We can do things differently at an older age and still accomplish things like it can't be done in other parts of the world. Why do you think as good as the Chinese economy is that the Chinese people still want to be Americans? America still stands for that land of opportunity to so many people in the world. And we should be proud of that. The class warfare is what has dragged this economy down for the last eight years. It is why we still see this huge disparity between rich and poor. Through this sluggish recovery, if you notice, the Dow is through the roof. So if you've got a 401k, it's doing better now. 
The rich have gotten much richer. But what are we doing at the grassroots level about jobs? Well, the issue is it costs so much money to do business. I want you to think, put yourself, if you're one of the people that are listening right now and throwing things at your radio because of what I'm saying, I just want you to be honest for a moment. If you had $10 million right now, under the current rules we have, where if you were to invest part of that money in a startup company and risk it, and the government was going to take a huge chunk of your of your profits to the tune of 35 to 40%, and then on top of that, regulations were such that it cost so much money to start a business, or would you live on that $10 million, have a nice life, and wait until, A, your taxes were lower so you kept more of your profits when you risk everything, and B, the regulations made it easier for you to start a business? When I expanded my contracting company, and I'm no genius, I and mean, you know the people that are listening in Phoenix can attest to that, that hear me every day. I'm no smarter than anybody else. I am as average as average can be. I just work hard. When I expanded my business, I was able to get a $50,000 line of credit on my house to extend to expand my business. I had a box of tools and a pickup truck when I started. And my concern is, because I'm no genius, but my concern is my grandchildren. I got three grandsons. The oldest is five. 15 years, he's going to be in high school. Or, he, or, I mean, he's going to be in college. Well, he may be in high school if he follows in my footsteps at 20. But at 20 years old, he'll either be in the job market, in college, or in the military. And if he's in the job market, is he going to have the opportunities I had? If he's got the, the desire to jump out there and, and take the risk, is the opportunity going to be there? Because we've wiped that opportunity out for so many people. It is so costly to start a business now just on the compliance issues alone that unless you've already got a ton of money, you can't do it. The individual that's willing to risk everything, you know, mortgage their house to do something, you can't even afford to do it now at all. So when I talk about lowering taxes at the corporate level, it's not because I'm snuggling up to the wealthy. I'm no silver spoon kid myself. I just don't think the government's entitled to it just because you've earned it. I mean, I don't care who you are. And the decrease in regulation, I'm not saying because I don't care about the environment. It's ridiculous. Anybody that loves the outdoors, that hunts and fishes, cares about the environment. Hunters and fishermen want to have the forest pristine and they want clean water because they want their grandkids and their great-grandkids to enjoy the forests like they do. They don't want to decimate the animal population. They don't want to cut down all the trees. They don't want to pollute the water. I don't want to pollute the air. I don't want to give my grandkids lung cancer because I don't care about the environment. But oppressive regulation drags down business and drags down opportunity. I want my grandkids to have an opportunity to do what they desire to do with their lives. If they want to go to work eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, make a nice living and spend every other minute with their families, God bless them. I hope they do it. If they're an entrepreneurial spirit and they're willing to work 100 hours a week on a dream, and even if they fail at the dream, to have the opportunity to chase it. That's why I have aligned myself with the Republican Party in what the platform is supposed to stand for. I don't agree with everything they've done. Trust me. 
Go back and listen to the podcast of my show. Go to KFYI.com. Listen to some of the podcasts, what I've said about the Republican Party. But the principles of small government and stand on your own two feet, most people believe in, no matter what party they are. There are plenty of Democrats that aren't looking for a handout. That's why Donald Trump flipped the states he flipped, because he went into those states and he said to the working Democrats in those union towns, get your factories opened again. We're going to make sure you have your job. We're not going to hand you anything. You're just going to get your job back. You're going to keep your job. Now, they believed him. And if they don't come through, if the Republicans in the House and the Senate don't come through, you're going to see those two houses flip in the next four years. And Donald Trump will be out in four years. This hour of the show, we're going to talk about California. I am a, um, a very big Second Amendment advocate for uh, a number of reasons. And I live in a state that has got great gun laws, which are very lenient, and they are very pro-gun owner. But California is going the other direction. And so gun sales are going through the roof in the state of California. We're going to discuss this idea here in a few moments this hour. And also, uh, one commentator is still talking about why Hillary lost, and it's still not Hillary's fault. Now, it's white fear. I don't know what white fear is. I'm white. Nobody whiter than me. Pretty, pretty sure that however white you are, nobody whiter than me. And I don't know what white fear is. So we're going to talk about, again, racial tension in this country and the division. Again, if it's not rich versus poor, it's black versus white or men versus women or gay versus straight. Talk about that political division. And is it time it all came to an end? We'll do that here in just a few moments on the show. It's Glenn Beck program. My name is Mike Broomhead. We'll be back. The Glenn Beck program. Mercury. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. My name is Mike Broomhead, Phoenix, Arizona, in for Glenn today and tomorrow. Thanks for making the Glenn Beck Program a part of your day. Uh, We're talking issue-based. This one is about guns, and I'm a Second Amendment advocate. I've owned guns most of my life. Um, I'm a very excitable personality. You may have figured that out. Uh, I've never brandished a weapon on a human being in my life, nor have I ever considered it. Thank God. I do know this. The second to last thing I ever want to do is shoot a person. The last thing I want to do is have to defend myself or my family and not have the ability. It's not about being a hero. Not at all. The last thing I want to be is a hero. Uh, I, I will talk. I have been prone to arguments and even fist fights when I was younger. I was a, well, I was going to say I was a bit of a hothead. I am a hothead. Never considered taking a human life. So the gun issue for me is about law-abiding citizens. And, and we, I, earlier I mentioned it's about policies. When conservatives in America argue issues, dispassionately argue issues, we can win on the issues every single time. Because it's about personal responsibility. And I think even the majority of the people on the political left have a sense of personal responsibility. They may disagree to what level the government gets involved in things. But they do have the idea of personal responsibility. 
So even within conservative circles, we disagree on things. And so we associate ourselves largely with people that agree with us. It's easier that way. But we talk about issues with people when we disagree. We win almost every time. I can defend my pro-life stance dispassionately, although it's a passionate issue. And I've asked my friends that are pro-choice to just hear me out. I'm not calling you a baby killer. Don't give me the stupid line of keep your laws off my body. I don't care what you do with your body. Tattoo it, pierce it, cut it off. It doesn't matter to me. But I genuinely believe that that is a human life inside that woman's body that deserves to be protected with the same laws that we would protect it if it was outside the womb. That's just my belief. It, it starts there. It's not oppressing women. It's not about any of that stuff. I believe it's a human life. And I'll go on and ask the question, if you had someone in your life that you loved that was pregnant, that was intending to keep the baby, even in the time period when the baby is legally able to be aborted, and that woman, God forbid, was involved in a car accident that caused her to lose the baby, and the driver of the other car was drunk, would you want that drunk driver prosecuted for murdering that baby? If the answer is yes, then it's a human life. It can't be a human life when you want to keep it and a glob of tissue when you don't. I don't expect I'm going to win anybody over that changed their mind, but maybe they'll think about it differently when they, you know, they think I'm going to come at them and call them a baby killer. We win on the issues. You know, one of the things I admire most about my friendship with Glenn is Glenn Beck, of course, is that he's always treated me like a colleague. And even, and especially when we disagree about things, there's never been anybody more thoughtful about something, nor have I ever met anybody that wants to do the right thing and is willing to risk everything to do the right thing. I was with Glenn on the border when, when the listeners to this network, to this show, donated all of that money so that those supplies could be taken to those kids at the border. I am as anti-illegal immigration as they come. I live in a border state where it, it is horrendous what's happening with illegal immigration on all of the issues tied to it. But you go to McAllen, Texas. I still have a picture on my phone of a little boy, maybe eight years old, sitting on a cot in a tent. They, clean, they gave him clean clothes, shower, food. And they gave him a toy. It was a Woody Story toy from Toy Story. And we looked in, and this little boy was sitting by himself on a cot. And we were told he's just going to sit there until they figure out what they can do with him. He's got a family member somewhere. Where are they going to put him? Now, I don't care where you stand on illegal immigration. How do you not look at a little boy and say he was one of tens of thousands and what are we going to do? So when I look at situations like that, I'll go one further on the other side of it. Um, last weekend in June, we have the anniversary of the firefighters who were killed on Yarnell Hill here in Arizona. The 100 Club of Arizona donates money to these families just to get them through. And the charities at Mercury donated $50,000 that year. So 
I want to associate myself with people to put their money where their mouth is and not just money, put themselves on the line. So it's interesting that uh, people would have the assumption that everybody that is associated with, friendly with, um, close to Glenn would have to think like Glenn all the time. He is one of the most thoughtful, nicest people I've ever met, even when we disagree about things. And is one of the most conservative people I've ever met in my entire life. I just, I think it's interesting that within our circles, um, it's funny, I have, I just got a message from one of my local listeners recently, uh, a a minute ago, uh, mad at me because I have John McCain on my show locally in Arizona. And I laugh because he's uh, chairman of the Armed Services Committee in the United States Senate, has been in the Senate forever, which to the, much to the chagrin of many of you, but I like John McCain. As a person, I get along well with him, and I disagree with him on a lot of issues. But he is the senior senator in Arizona, the most recognizable name in American politics. He wins his elections by large numbers here in the state of Arizona. And I'm on the talk radio station in Arizona. Why in the world would I ever stop having him on my show? And if you disagree with that, I respect you. But you can't come at me and question my conservative values because I would, for the reasons I just gave you, have him as a, on my show. The time for us throwing stones at each other should be over. Republicans and Democrats should have one thing in common. We have a healthy suspicion of the people we elect to public office. They can try to divide us rich versus poor, black versus white, man versus woman, gay versus straight. But in the end, we should have a healthy suspicion of especially the ones we support and put there. I think that's what makes us a great country in the end. We know we say this all the time. I'm done talking to politicians. I'm talking to you because you and I can wipe out the entire House of Representatives every two years and a third of the Senate. Every two years. We have term limits. It's called the way we vote. Unfortunately, you know, the same woman who said a few years ago, you have to vote for this bill to see what's in it called Obamacare. Nancy Pelosi will never be pried out of that seat by her by her voters. By that electorate. That's the problem with American politics. All right, I'm done with the uh, the preaching, the preaching of the sermon. We will talk about the California gun laws. I think it's an important story. I promise we'll get to it um, after this bottom of the hour break. Again, at Broomhead Show on Twitter, the Mike Broomhead Show fan page on Facebook, or all one word, Mike Broomhead on Instagram. If you'd like to follow me there, looking for the interaction during the break. This is the Glenn Beck Program. My name is Mike Broomhead. We'll be back. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks for joining the Glenn Beck Show. Wherever you're listening, thanks for making it a part of your day. My name is Mike Broomhead, Phoenix, Arizona, in today and tomorrow for Glenn. Uh, The social media feedback is a lot of fun. Been reading and and answering a lot of the tweets and some of the 
um, some of what's going on. I appreciate all of the comments. This California gun law um, story, it's on The Blaze. If you want to go to theblaze.com. By the way, the new format on The Blaze, I don't know if you've noticed it, but I print out a lot of their stories. It's just a, a lot cleaner. Uh, California gun sales continue to skyrocket as strict anti-gun laws set to kick in. Where have we heard this story before? Every time the president of the United States over the last eight years has come out and talked about stricter gun laws and what they would call common sense gun laws, first of all, it's an oxymoron and it makes me laugh. The other part of that is gun sales went through the roof. These are not unreasonable, um, fear-mongering people. It's just common American people that realize the right to keep and bear arms is a cornerstone of who we are as a society. And if someone is going to try to come in and hinder that, they want to get out in front of it. You can't have the number of guns sold in America over the eight years of this president and call it just a bunch of crazy people. And I don't know what state many of you live in. Um, When you listen to this, I can tell you I moved from a fairly lenient gun law state of Florida where I grew up to Arizona 21, almost 22 years ago. Our gun laws are the most lenient in the country. I believe they're the most lenient. If you can legally own a firearm in the state of Arizona, if you legally own a handgun, you can conceal it without a permit. Now, I maintain a concealed carry permit. I I like the training that goes with it, the, the knowledge of laws that goes with it. But I also like reciprocity where I can travel to other states and maintain a concealed weapons permit. But the laws don't change anything. I I live in a very, you know, Phoenix is the sixth largest city, but there's surrounding cities around us. It is a very big valley. It's beautiful. It's safe. It's clean. I'm not mocking Chicago, but I'd rather be here than Chicago when it comes to crime or D.C. when it comes to crime with very strict gun laws. Criminals bent on killing could care less if they're going to get hammered with a gun law violation. It sounds trite. It's not. We should be fixing the problem when you're if you go to the doctor with an ailment and they begin to treat you for the wrong ailment. A, it's it's horrible because they think they're solving a problem and they're not. And B, the issue continues to get worse because they're not treating the right issue. So California's gun sales continue to skyrocket is um, that when these laws go into effect, a lawmaker were quick to use the tragedy in San Bernardino to put further restrictions on firearms within the state. Among the six bills that were signed into law is a law that requires semi-automatic rifles with evil features to be registered upon purchase. Listen, I, I don't. I don't want to lose my temper, and I don't want to mock people. What the hell is an evil feature on a gun? See, the problem is there's a multitude of things that can be used to kill, and unfortunately we've seen that. Pressure cookers, backpacks, vehicles. No one is suggesting limitations on those. DUI is a horrible crime. You know, drunk, drink, drinking and driving is just is just it's unnecessary. That's why it's you know the 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 consequences can be so devastating for such an easy fix. 
But nobody suggests punishing good drivers because of the bad ones. You don't blame the car. You don't blame the booze. You blame the person that drank the booze and got in the car. No one's talking about smaller cars or limitations on cars. No one's talking about limited on the amount of alcohol you can buy at one time. No one's talking about any of that. You put the blame where it belongs, on the abuser. In Arizona, and i sorry to keep bringing up where I live, but we have very restrictive DUI laws and very lenient gun laws. And you look around this country and you see where the gun laws are very restrictive and the high crime rates, you can't reconcile the two. And for anybody, and the when I only get insulted when somebody goes after low-hanging fruit in their mind, which is usually emotion, is it any town, is that the, the organization that's cropped up after uh, the Sandy Hook shooting um, where there was another anti-gun group? And they make the assertion that if you're not in favor of the gun laws they're in favor of, you don't care about children dying. I was doing afternoons in Phoenix when Sandy Hook happened. And I remember being so physically ill, and I didn't know how I was going to go on the air that afternoon and talk about anything else or make any sense of what we saw happening. That a kid would murder his mother, drive to an elementary school, and then wipe out a class of second graders. And those families that showed up at that school that were segregated based on if you were a parent to one of the kids that were killed, you were segregated to be told your child was dead. As a matter of fact, one of the people I reached out to that day was, was Glenn. I said, how do I make sense of this? How, how do I go on the air and talk about this kind of evil and not break down? Don't tell me that gun owners in this country have no respect for human life or don't care about dead kids or would rather have guns than children dying. It's an insult to say that. But I can guarantee you this. California's restrictive gun laws will do absolutely nothing to lower the gun crime rate in that state. Not a thing. Criminals will get their hands on guns. They always have. They always will. That's what makes them a criminal. When you talk about the spree killers like the Adam Lanza kid in Sandy Hook or Jared Loeffner here in Tucson, Arizona, when when, uh, Congresswoman Giffords was shot and injured so severely and the federal court judge was killed and that small girl, uh, Christina Taylor Green, was murdered at that scene. Or the shooter in uh, South Carolina, Dylan Roof. Or in Colorado in that movie theater. Or go all the way back to Virginia Tech, Columbine. The common denominator guns, sure. The common, denom- the common denominator was also that these were dangerously mentally ill people that had been warned, their families had been warned, they had been kicked out of school on many occasions and told don't come back until you've had some mental health counseling. As a matter of fact, in the case of what was going on in Colorado, they were going to his house with an intervention team, but he had withdrawn from school so they didn't have the authority to do anything, so they didn't. HIPAA laws have a lot more to do with solving this problem. To what level can we institutionalize or forcibly medicate somebody that has, you can't punish somebody for a crime they haven't committed. 
But when someone's that dangerously mentally ill, how much intervention can be done? There's where the problem lies, not in guns. The most ridiculous example of that was Adam Lanza and the gun laws they wanted after Sandy Hook. They wanted background checks. They wanted to get rid of the gun show loophole and the hand-to-hand sales loopholes where any gun sale had to be registered or had to go through a gun dealer with the exception of family members. You could sell to a family member. Well, the reason why that's ridiculous is Adam Lanza, A, was too young to possess the guns he had, so he was already violating gun laws. But B, they were his mother's guns. So that new law wouldn't have stopped Adam Lanza from getting those guns if his mother gave him the guns. No background check required. No stopping that young man from obtaining them legally if she could hand them to him. Now, we know the story. The story is he murdered his mother with those guns and then went on the killing spree. I mean, it's a horrible thought. But if she had given him the guns, the law wouldn't have stopped it. He still would have had them. So the very laws they came up with in the fallout of Sandy Hook would not have stopped Sandy Hook. And when we stop blaming what is to blame and we shift it to something else, we're in danger because we're not solving the problem and we're treating something that's not the problem. Guns aren't the problem. Certainly you and I are not the problem. Someone explain how taking my gun away from me or limiting my access to firearms or ammunition makes us safer. It doesn't. I'm armed most of the time. And most of the time, I don't even think about it. Because I'm not looking to use a gun. I'm not looking to brandish a weapon. But I'm also not looking to be a victim either. So as a society, we have to decide. The state of California is crashing. Their economy is crashing because of the welfare state. They are taxing businesses and regulating businesses out of that state. They are running for the hills. Other states here in the, in the, in the western United States, like Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, they are just waiting because the businesses are leaving California. Economically, they are about to crash. And with laws like this, it becomes a lawless nation because the law-abiding citizen is going to listen to the law because they have to. And the lawbreakers are still going to do whatever they please, and they're going to prey upon society because they're breaking the law anyway. You're going to murder somebody? You mean the gun charge matters to you? It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Before we uh, end the show today... um, Talk about the hypocrisy of a protected class of people. Um, if you go back to remember, nobody was going to make the wedding cake for the gay couple and businesses were fined and hammered. Well, something along those lines. But I don't believe that anybody's getting in trouble for this one. I'm going to get to a story to wrap it up here in just a couple of moments. I hope you'll stick around for it. My name is Mike Broomhead, and this is the Glenn Beck Program. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program.
My name is Mike Broomhead. In for a few more minutes today and again in for Glenn tomorrow. Thanks for making the Glenn Beck program a part of your day wherever you're listening. And before we get out of here, we may have to start a GoFundMe page. I'm Not me personally, but maybe one of you. You may want to do this to help this out. There is a cafe in Hawaii that I'm sure is going to have to pay a hefty fine because just based on precedent, we know that there have been um, bakeries that didn't want to bake cakes for gay weddings. Um, there were um, there was a farm that didn't want to host a gay wedding. They said, we'll host a reception. We just don't want to host the ceremony. And uh, there has been um, story after story of businesses that have been run out of business or fined to the tune of thousands and thousands of dollars because you can't refuse service based on deeply held beliefs. That if you do that, then you are somehow um, um, hindering them and they are not able to have what they want. Now, it's ridiculous, but that's that's the precedent that's been set. When in Hawaii, Honolulu's Cafe, eight and a half, is that what it's called? Um, get, gets rave reviews on Yelp for its... Uh, one of its um, menu items, very popular place. But they have decided to post a sign that says, if you voted for Donald Trump, you can't eat here. Well, I'm sure that the Obama administration and the Justice Department and the civil rights violations here, are, uh, they are going to hammer these people. I mean, you would think that just based on the fact that you've got to make the cake for a gay wedding, you, you can't refuse that. Um, you're going to have to, you're going to get fined. You're, you're hindering people. You, you are, you are showing bias. So if you, if you want, you could help this cafe by starting a GoFundMe page, because I'm sure the government's going to hammer them. No, actually what's going to happen is they're going to applaud them for their courage and standing up for what they believe in. The issue of bias and hate crimes uh, is one that has always bothered me because if I go out on a date and um, somebody decides either they don't like me or they don't like her, so they beat us up. Or in front of us is a gay couple and they beat them up because they don't like gay people they should be punished to a greater degree for beating up the gay couple because it's a hate crime. Well, it's not a love crime if you beat me up. So the idea, and I thought our justice system was supposed to be blind. I thought we had equal justice for crimes, that if you commit a crime against somebody because you don't like them because of their race or you commit a crime against somebody just because you're a criminal, the punishment should be the punishment. And the other side of this, if this Hawaiian cafe doesn't want Trump voters there, Trump voters should take their money someplace else. And if you're a gay couple planning a wedding and somebody doesn't want to um, do business with you, take your money someplace else. You don't make your wedding a political statement. Well, you shouldn't anyway. We're just about out of time. Tomorrow I'll be back in on the Glenn Beck program again at Broomhead Show on Twitter, Mike Broomhead on Instagram, or the Mike Broomhead Show on uh, Facebook. Thanks for being a part of the show today. I'll be back tomorrow. Have a great day, everyone. God bless. This is the Glenn Beck Program.
Mercury.